Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. Hello, I'm Niall McCorn and this is the Daily Premier League podcast with a new episode every single day of the season. Of course, it's Football Social Daily. Hit subscribe now and never miss an episode of the podcast again. With the weird world of 2020 throwing up every curveball imaginable, could Manchester United be set to do something to bring smiles back to supporters' faces? One of the best players of our time, Cristiano Ronaldo, is being talked up with a shock return to Old Trafford in the press. But is this fake news? And do United really need him? We'll tackle the talking points on today's show. Also, after we said cheerio to outgoing FHM and Greg Clark earlier this week, who should step up to replace him? And just how important is it that his successor is the right person for the job? Plus, I know it's dominated absolutely everything, but it is the microscopic elephant in the room. Of course, it's coronavirus. More and more players are testing positive for COVID with each passing week. So we ask what the solution is moving forward in these tough times. Alongside me on the podcast today, we've got Stretford Paddock's Jay Motti. Hello, Jay. You're right, mate. I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, very well, actually. Very, very well. And a big warm welcome to The Athletics. Carl Anker making his Football Social Daily debut today. How's it going, Carl? I'm doing well, thanks. How is everyone? Yeah, all good. All good. Yeah, ready to talk about the uh, the, the few talking points that we've got. There's been a bit of news this week, um, but obviously we'd rather be talking about Premier League action at the weekend. Not to be, of course, because it's the international break. But because it is the international break, there's always some transfer news springing up, isn't there? It happens every single time. But this one's a pretty big story because it centres around a huge name in our sport. And that's where we're going to start with Cristiano Ronaldo. He left Manchester United 11 years ago now, no doubt as a club legend, uh, but he could make his way back to Manchester. Well, that's according to some of these Portuguese reports that have come out. They claim that United have already made a bid for the Juventus man. So if we lay it out like this, Jay, Ronaldo's 35, he's on massive wages, but he's no doubt a United legend and he's no doubt, in my mind, still world class. So as a United supporter, what do you make of these reports? I mean... You know, we've had these reports since David Moyes was in charge that Ronaldo was going to come back to Old Trafford. 
and my heart, <laughs> st- uh, my head, sorry, says it's highly unlikely. And I've, you know, I've, I've allowed myself to dream before, and it's just been nonsense. But there's a little part of me that says, you know what? In these tough times, especially, it'd just be great if we got one last season of Ronaldo at Old Trafford. I know it's not probably not going to happen, but you know, he, he was like you, you called him a legend, and the last few years of his time at United were, were just ridiculously good. You know, three titles on the trot, two Champions League final, winning the Champions League and the Premier League in the same season, scoring 40-odd goals as well in the process, winning the Ballon d'Or. The guy was, you know, a complete legend. I was there when he came back with Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he got a he got a sort of ovation that a home a home uh, player would have got. So even when he's, even after he scored against us, I saw some, play, uh, some fans actually applauding him, which I wasn't really into. Um, but <laughs> I don't really see it happening. I, would I take him? Of course I would. You know, we had Ronaldo coming. I know it's massive wages and things like that. And he's 35, but he's still banging in the goals. We had Zlatan at a similar age. who would never played in the Premier League before and who did the business. So, yes, I'd have him. It'd give everyone a lift, especially in these tough times. But I've got to be honest with you, I just don't see it happening. Is that the reason you don't see it happening? Because of the time in terms of the age that he's at, 35, as you say. I mean, the quality, we don't need to mention the quality. We all know that. You've you've pinpointed it there already. But are there any sort of determining factors as to why you think he wouldn't rejoin Manchester United? Because he still loves the club. There's no doubt about it. I feel with Ronaldo, I think he's almost like a shark. He likes to keep moving forward. I think he's sure. moved forward throughout his career. You know, he went from uh, Sporting to United. He went from United to Real Madrid. He went from Real Madrid to Juve, and I think he, 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 I think he might like to do something different. Go to a club or a country he's never been out before, a top level club. I don't think he goes to America or somewhere like no respect to America, the football over there. But I think he's still got a lot to offer in Europe. So I wouldn't be surprised if he maybe went to Germany or France or somewhere like that. Went to another one of the, 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 the sort of European giants over there and added that to his his sort of bow. But you know, never say never. He's always been very respectful when he talks about Manchester United. I mentioned the time when he came back, he didn't even celebrate really, he almost held his hands up when he scored against us like he'd done something wrong. And whenever you mm. see the interviews and, and the sort of the press reports of him and he talks about Sir Alex Ferguson, he talks about his time at Manchester United and the Manchester United fans and he always speaks about us fondly and, and I think he knows that we, we still love him and have that affinity with him. So there is a, a mutual love there, I just don't know. I just I think, if I'm being honest, I wouldn't be surprised if Ronaldo thought, you know, I'll go and give it a go in, in Germany or France or somewhere like that, where I've never mm. been, and, and not prove myself, because he's already proved himself, but show I can take my talents to a, a different league and, and maybe win, you know, the title in, in France or, or bring a European trophy to, to Germany or whatever. Just a, a new mm. challenge that doesn't involve him going backwards. What do you think, Carl? Do you think that there's any substance to these reports? They're obviously translated from Portuguese and been picked up by the UK press and anything to do with the Ronaldo return to Manchester United is obviously going to have a big billing around it. Do you think that that there's more that can be read into these reports or, or even do you think this is what Manchester United really need? Let me be very clear. <laughs> Absolutely not. This happens every single... Every single international break, every single transfer window, it's so much of a non-story that I find it a bit insulting. Um, the idea that we're talking about Cristiano Ronaldo possibly going back to Manchester United when Scotland's just secured qualification for the first time in 22, 23 years is, oi, oi, Dios mio. Um, no, I don't think this is a good idea for anyone, really. <laughs> I don't think Cristiano Ronaldo's top two in the world anymore. I think he's physical attributes and profiles declined a little bit um, and the knee issues that Mark Hughes and other people suspected at 
have finally taken him to a point where he, he's still one of the best players in the world, but he's not a guaranteed the person either alongside Messi or next to Messi. He's on such high wages and is of such an advanced profile that any possible return to Manchester United would, I wouldn't think, is good for any form of footballing reasons. I don't, the idea that it's such a lift at a time when Manchester United is losing money and, you know, probably could be spending that money to, you know, better enshrine its staff or pay their staff a proper living wage, uh, I find just a little bit odd. Um, and this idea that Cristiano Ronaldo still loves the club, I don't, so? That was a while ago. He left. <laughs> he left. He left. He left. He went on to become one of the best players in the world somewhere else and won more Champions League somewhere else. And the last time he scored against Manchester United, he showed off his abs. And then we can talk about the other stuff that he's been accused of to that point where I wouldn't want that person associated with my football club in the first place. So, no, there is nothing about Cristiano Ronaldo possibly coming back to Manchester United that makes me happy. <laughs> well, on that front then, could you see the arguments for people suggesting that this deal would only have been brokered with a commercial mind frame? We know Manchester United's um, deal structuring often includes commercial elements to it. And if Ronaldo was to make a star-studded return to Old Trafford, no doubt that that would play a big part in it. Possibly, but it's such... A bizarre hail mary play, right? If you re if you really want to drill down in terms of uh, commercialization and whatnot, um, Juventus bring in Ronaldo, yeah, good. Brought in loads of social media followers and did whatnot, and all these fans went over from Real Madrid over to Juventus, and they kept changing the badge and they changed the kit and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And yeah, if the, if Cristiano went over to Manchester United, you'd probably get a similar spike. But also, I would imagine there are, or I'd hope to the love of God, there are some very smart people at Manchester United going, rather than get Ronaldo to get Ronaldo type lift, we should pick one of our current football players and then build them to a profile. I mean, wasn't that the entire, well, to, to my understanding, that was a large part of the sell to Paul Pogba to go from Juventus to Manchester United, which was, we're going to give you a platform so you can get Ronaldo type reach. Obviously, that didn't quite go on because of footballing reasons and because Manchester United didn't really follow through on the deal. They offered Paul Pogba, but it's, it's bad business, it's bad financials, and we shouldn't be entertaining this in this latest, as far as I'm concerned. Talking of the financial side of things, obviously United's accounts have come out recently, Jay, and I'm sure it's no surprise to you as someone who's kind of followed the ownership of the club for a long, long time as to the way those figures looked. Uh, in terms of United spending too much money to bring Ronaldo back to the club, I mean, do you really care now with the current ownership? Does it really bother you at this moment in time? I mean, I saw something like they took another dividend, is it, that 8.7 million or something. You know, Arkady works at United and he's struggling with his wages there. And I just he's only, you know, he works in the museum. He's not, uh, not the, yeah, in the museum, sorry. And when it comes to spending money in the owners, I've just got no faith in them. You know, we, we hear that the, the club's not making enough money and they're hit by the pandemic. And I, I, I get that because you've not got fans going in the ground. But they're still taking out the money. They're still going to take out the money. They bought United. They ploughed us into all this debt. We're still in hundreds of millions of pounds worth of debt. That's not going away anytime soon. They're not going to keep to or stop. Sorry, taking money out of the club. We have to be realistic about that. It's just not going to happen. And what worries me is we sort of go through these cycles of yeah, we invest and we don't invest as much, and we just seem to be in this vicious circle at United ever since the Blazers have took over. Where we've had a summer of a big investment and a summer of not so big investment. We keep getting these reports, and the, the, the sort of the most surprising thing about these reports now is how unsurprising they are. I think a lot of United fans I know go, oh yeah, huh. still in £440 million pounds worth of debt. Oh, huh. oh yeah, the Glazers just took another £9 million pound dividend out. Oh yeah, 
there's almost like an apathy towards it. Now, I'm not saying United fans don't care. I think we're just all deflated with it. We've just been drained with it all. Mm. So, yes, you're still angry and you're still frustrated, but you're almost used to it. And I just don't see it changing anytime soon. But back to footballing perspective, um, and let's not worry about Manchester United here and almost take them out of the equation. Rumours in the summer, Carl, that Lionel Messi was close to joining Manchester City. Now we're seeing these reports pop up again that Ronaldo could be of interest to Manchester United. What does that tell you personally about the Premier League? What does that make you think about the Premier League that we're talking about two top class players that have probably been the best, without doubt, of our generation uh, are looking to the Premier League for their final payday in the sort of twilight years of their career. Does that send a statement about the quality of the Premier League or is that reading into it a little bit too much? I think that's an overgenerous look into the Premier League. I'd say the Premier League has the leading branding and marketing in global audiences. So if you look at it, I think La Liga are sort of making massive strides right now to try and play catch up with the Premier League and, and combat, you know, catch up with the Premier League in terms of branding, in terms of... Um, audience when you look at audience share i'd say manchester united have an audience share of around about uh i'd say somewhere in like five million views uh per game which is something astounding per you know in a global audience and it gets bigger and bigger if you look at the coaches in the premier league the premier league is definitely the the coaches league we of the best premier league of, of the best managers in the world i'd say at least three of yeah. them currently work in the premier league and i'd agree you know when you remove things like tax breaks and whatnot, you can definitely see the Premier League is one of the most lucrative markets for players, not just at the very top, but also in tier two and tier three. That's good. The Premier League, you know, the meme of the Barclays uh, on on the internet, I think is is a really interesting one. The, you know, the Barclays as a bank has not been a sponsor of the Premier League for about 10 years. And yet we still clip and meme and do whatever because the brand of the Premier League works. The Premier League branding has been very effective and I wouldn't, and that has reasons to make football fans happy and sad. Mm, mm, yeah, definitely. Well, certainly one to keep an eye on, although Carl seems to think that this is uh, a non-story and someone he wouldn't want back in the Premier League. Jay does want Ronaldo back in the Premier League, but he also thinks can't see it happening. Um, this is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss another episode of the podcast again. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back afterwards talking about who the new chairman of the FA should be. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sports Social. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily. I've got Carl and Jay alongside me. My name's Niall. Time to talk about the FA because, of course, earlier this week, Greg Clark embarrassed himself as FA chairman. He ended up tendering his resignation because of the comments he made, uh, which I won't go into now. We've discussed it on the podcast earlier this week, but certainly we all feel here at Football Social Daily that the right decision was made 100%. Now, Jay, the onus is on picking someone decent to replace him because people might say that Greg Clark made a mistake and whatnot whatever happened with him is irrelevant now because he's gone the next most important thing is to choose someone to do this job to replace him who actually gets it and make sure that the FA actually get the appointment right would you agree with that yeah of course I mean you know you were decent I mean I don't think most football fans are losing sleep over who the appointment is they just want someone who isn't going to go and embarrass himself and come out with just ridiculous comments and statements when they're giving an interview and someone who's a bit more in touch with you know with football and with fans and especially in general I mean I saw snippets of, of that interview with Greg Clark and it was 
it was embarrassing. It's like watching, you know, I don't know, your granddad or someone who just didn't know what you're yeah. talking about. I mean, I was thinking... Jim described it as like the drunk uncle at the Christmas was, party yeah. family get-together that insults your neighbours by accident. Yeah, you know? it's that type of thing. And you're like, I almost thought he was like, was, is this deliberate? Is this a joke? Is he trying to get himself sat? Um, so just to point someone who can, as you said, decent, I think that is the word, someone who is a little bit in touch, someone, you know, who, who understands football and who understands football fans and the culture and the, the teams and, and whatnot and how to improve the game or whatever. Just someone who's a little bit more up to date because we seem to have these mm. sort of appointments, especially at the top level with FA and, and, and FIFA and people like that, of, of, of men who, usually men, it's always always men, to be honest with you, who just, you know, getting on a bit, haven't really got a clue, don't know what's going on. And whenever you hear from them, it's usually something that causes controversy or makes you think, why are these people having a say in the game when they're obviously so out of touch? So sure. I've not really got a shortlist for you, if I'm being brutally honest. I couldn't tell you, oh, oh he's 100%. the ideal candidate or he's the ideal candidate. It's not something I honestly think about a lot. I'd just like to see someone in the job who isn't an embarrassment and doesn't make me get angry. Absolutely, mate. And I totally agree. And, you know, I said earlier on this week on the podcast that he was using language that was outdated and might have been acceptable in his day, but it isn't his day. And that language hasn't been acceptable for as long as I've been alive. Um, And when you're in a position of power, you've got a duty to understand what you're saying and figure out the language that you use and whether that's appropriate or not. And he should have known that. And like we say, it's not the first time he's been erroneous in more than one way um, in regards to uh, people's backgrounds and whatnot. So so, totally agree with you. I think someone decent who's slightly more progressive and in touch with the modern game is absolutely essential. One of those names, Carl, uh, is the former Chelsea defender, Paul Elliott, who's currently heading up the the diversity uh, section of the FA. He's been sort of not tipped by Gareth Southgate, but in his press conference, the England manager said earlier this week that he wouldn't mind if Paul Elliott got the gig. Um, What's your take on it? Are you kind of along a similar uh, thought process to Jay there, that it just needs to be someone who isn't going to, you know, enrage the, the people that follow the game in this country? It's a really hard one. I definitely want this job role to be to follow some form of Rooney rule, job application process where at least one um, black Asian minority candidate is interviewed and at least one woman is interviewed. Um, if Paul Edit is interested in his role, I'd definitely like him to be interviewed as well. I think English football is in a... I think the English football and the FA specifically is in a very interesting moment where there are a number of well-defined pressure points with their relationship with the Premier League, their relationship with the government, um, their relationship with the women's game and their relationship with youth football, that whoever takes on this job will be taking on a meaty role that needs proper safeguarding and proper protection for the next 10, maybe 15 years. Um, Football as we know it is about to change drastically. Uh, Brexit is still possibly a thing. We still don't entirely know when fans are going to come back in because of COVID. Uh, You have to bear in mind that there was a point in time in 2020 where League One and League Two didn't really exist and we need to make sure that um, those leagues can be more sustainable. So uh, those things that need to be considered and obviously you come to this sort of phrase of you need to make sure you have the best person for the job. But the FA also needs to make steps that they're interviewing every sort of person as well. Um, And I think that needs to happen because when you look at that Greg Clark video, what was... Mm. It first started as insulting and then it began to border into, you know, tip over into farce as he just kept ticking off more marginalized groups to insult and you're you just going what are you doing what are you doing um and it was a bit like one of those ter- you know old-time cartoon mm. stand-up shows where you can see like the big 
like hook dragging someone off stage as they were bombing awfully um and i, I don't think uh, enraging or embarrassing is i don't know if that's quite the term but <laughs> it'd be nice to have someone in charge of the fa who recognizes my humanity right and i was speaking here as speaking as a black football journalist and in an industry that does not have enough black football journalists the idea that the head of the fa could refer to me as that colored lad um that's incredibly depressing right the idea that the head of the fa believes that some of my mm. peers from south asia are going to work in the it department or perhaps we better off as accountants that is it's not it's not embarrassing it, it's soul crushing really um and i, I wouldn't I, i'd push back on when you said we want someone that's slightly more progressive i want someone that is so progressive and so future forward because this is 2020 you need to secure what football's going to look like in 2033 because football is going to change massively and mm. if you have someone with even 20 2005 thinking the leagues and youth football as we know it will not exist mm. yeah well paul elliott as you mentioned paul elliott is a is a black man and he's currently the sort of driving force behind the fa's new diversity code which we've seen players and officials get on board with uh, in, in recent times you're saying Carl that you're kind of backing him or at least you, you definitely think he should be under consideration I think he is interested in the role but that certainly sends a statement doesn't it It sends a message that the FA know that there is an issue here at the top uh, and they're willing to address that uh, and certainly the the you know appointment of Paul Elliott if it is to be him would certainly be the first step to, to ensuring things are, are more level Possibly. I'm, I've written articles on The Athletic about how football is far too easy to pat itself on the back and to be very much like, oh, look, we've got a black person involved. Oh, look, look, sure. look at that. Um, mm. And I'm not going to make a song and dance about an industry that all too often enjoys black people's presence in, as a means of labour and as an access of labour, especially for their bodies, but very much raises loads of questions about their brains and their minds. So... Um, if Paul Elliott wants this role, and we need to check and make sure, um, I'm all for it. But uh, in the same way as we have uh, glass ceilings, we also have glass cliffs. So um, forgive me for not being overjoyed at the concept of, of, of a black person getting a job because the previous incumbent was using the term coloured. Or, or that being touted as a sort of course correction immediately. Um, if he wants that job, I, I would hope that he's guaranteed an interview. I hope he was, his um, application is taken seriously. And if he gets that job, congratulations. Uh, and there'll be much work to be done. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have to wait and see what happens um, regarding the new FA chairman or whoever it might be. Obviously, um, that's yet to be decided. But certainly there are a few names that are being... Uh, bandied around and uh, Paul Elliott is most certainly one of those and if you're getting praise from Gareth Southgate definitely um, someone that you'll be working with closely in that role uh, it's always uh, a positive of course time for another quick break here on Football Social Daily afterwards we'll be talking about coronavirus unfortunately we can't escape it it's still all around the game and uh, we need to try and discuss really about what the next steps are because players are catching COVID-19 very very regularly it seems don't go anywhere Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. 
Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Unfortunately, it's time to talk coronavirus. It's dominated the year 2020 and it's dominating the football landscape as well because players have started to test positive for COVID-19 very, very regularly around Europe in recent weeks. Uh, the most recent examples, Jay, uh, Connor Cody, who's missed the England game uh, after getting a track and trace message and Mohamed Salah from Liverpool, another player who the Egyptian FA have announced uh, has tested positive for COVID-19. At the start of Project Restart, there were very few people testing positive for coronavirus. Now that things have kind of got back to normal more so than they had done before, we're starting to see more positive tests. I I presume that wouldn't be a coincidence in in your mind, Jay. No, I mean, you know, it's Obviously, you wouldn't think it was a coincidence that we're seeing more football, more travelling, and more people are, are testing, more players especially are testing positive. And it's obviously, you know, it's affecting some teams and it's affecting some players. And just what I just wonder, sort of personally, where, where they're going to draw a line, where they're going to, whether they're going to say this is getting out of hand, we can't continue like this, or whether they're just willing to, to keep going. And it's a case of, you know, if you do lose a few players or a lot of players to COVID, it's, it's tough. You just got to get on with it uh, and keep picking weakened teams because. You know, you mentioned Conor Cody, you mentioned Mo Salah. Um, I think Alex Tellers, I think, for United had to um, add it. Yeah. Um, and then we've had, like, obviously, you know, Cavani had to quarantine. I don't think Yadi had to quarantine. Um, I think Paul Pogba as well had it during the, the, the summer. Um, yeah, he so, did, yeah. you know, it's affect, from a United point of view, because I'm a United fan, I talk about it, it's affected us. It's obviously affected other teams as well. And it's like a case of, OK, you can argue, well, everyone's affected by it. It's potluck, it's like injuries. But it's obviously not because this is something as part of a global pandemic. And if it continues and if it, you know, if the cases do become more frequent, are you going to have to look at that? And are you going to have to say this is becoming untenable? Because, you know, Mm. I don't know, it just seems a little bit worrying anyway when you keep hearing these reports. And obviously it seems like, you know, Liverpool now, Mo Salah's going to miss any games. They'll be fuming because he's obviously a very important player to them. And they're not going to be happy. The fans are going to be happy. And you're going to ask the question... And also, the, the level of football isn't going to be as good because you're missing players that are obviously very, very talented. So, I wouldn't be surprised if it did make changes, but at the moment, it doesn't seem like they're going to anytime soon. But you, as I said earlier, how long can it continue before you have to ask yourself, is this getting a bit silly? I mean, can you see the possibility of there being kind of another interruption in the season? Because it feels like the more this goes on, the, the, the more it becomes unavoidable. And I don't personally want that to happen. I'd rather the season continued. But sometimes you have to make these tough decisions. And if you think back to the first lockdown in the UK in March, when Mikel Arteta tested positive for coronavirus, and then all of a sudden it was this, oh, God, we better start suspending some games. And then after that, it was until July, three months later, uh, or even more before we started getting some football. So, I mean, do you think that there's a likelihood that we could see the same thing happen again? Um, I, yeah, I think so. I mean, it wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility. It's a shame because, you know, I get the idea that football has to continue. You can't just keep stop football forever or not forever But whilst this happens. But, you know, football's becoming so far sort of removed from what we're all used to. You know, no fans in the ground. So you've not got that element as well then you've got players missing because they've got covid so you're missing some of the players that would be playing normally then you've got you know that that sort of increasing as well and it just feels like i don't know we're just sort of making football less and less what it should be and now you see you mentioned well is lockdown another lockdown or another pause on it sorry the next step again you know it wouldn't surprise me because you just think how how can it continue i think is there a limit is there a number where they go okay we've got too many this isn't this isn't feasible anymore Perhaps it is, and perhaps that's what we have to do. You might have to put a break on it, but then obviously, mm. then you have repercussions because 
if you're say the FA or Premier League, or whatever, would say we could, you know, we can't continue. How does that affect the Champions League or stuff like that? UEFA? I'm not sure how it all works. Yeah. Um, someone who sort of more clued up on, on that sort of thing would have to inform me on that one. But it wouldn't surprise me in answer to your question if further down the line we did see some sort of lockdown. You know, it wasn't that long ago we were talking about having fans back in the ground. I know there was talk of that, you know, 23,000 or whatever being back in Old Trafford by October. That obviously never happened. And mm. now we're already sort of sat here discussing whether there's going to be another complete shutdown of games it just doesn't seem to be moving in the right direction at the minute no definitely and I think you know kind of on what you've said a bit of a domino effect isn't it like you say it's all linked the Premier League UEFA competitions and that brings me on to the international break really because as I said Connor Cody missed the England game Brown the Ireland player um, played 90 minutes for the Republic of Ireland against England and tested positive the morning after the game and even worse, Croatia player Domagoj Vida tested positive at half-time of Croatia's game against Turkey and had to be substituted off. And it's just becoming slightly farcical now. Now, I want football to continue as much as the next person, Carl, but when you hear about things like people getting subbed off at half-time because they've got coronavirus, it does kind of hammer it home a little bit. Yes, and I think the most important thing you've just said there is you want football to continue, and that is why we're continuing, right? I think... The the two major drivers as to why the Premier League season is continuing and why most European leagues are continue, continuing are one, the financial implications. Um, football clubs, uh, international teams uh, and entities associated with those are need to continue. And two, we need something as a form of entertainment. And unfortunately, those things are large enough to continue this game. Uh, I'm speaking as someone who developed a pretty bad cough on Tuesday and had to go get a COVID test and I was sort of trying to run the numbers as to what would happen because I live alone uh, and had, you know, properly socially isolate there. Um, yeah, there is, speaking of someone who is quite lucky to go to football stadiums and, and attend these games, it is, as I sit in a football stadium, as I, I'll, you know, as I sit in Old Trafford next week, I will sit there knowing that I cannot square the circle that this should not be continuing. And I don't think anyone, I think everyone knows, at least to a small extent, that football probably should not be continuing. The idea that we're, we're having an international break and we're playing friendlies yeah, ridiculous. is very much absurd. Um, now, we know why we're playing friendlies is because traditionally in the summer, um, international federations use friendlies as money spinning exercises to support other assets of their teams so those you know the friendlies that England will play would go on to support youth football would go on to support women's team would go on to support other things and that's why we're doing the friendlies now and that's the thing there is no in air quotes sensible reason for football to continue other than you like it and it earns money yeah. <laughs> and, and that's that's the weird state we're in well exactly and then you look at the this the conundrum that the FA have got with England and you know the Iceland game and asking for a free pass for the Iceland uh, coaching staff and squad to come and play the game at Wembley rather than having to self-isolate under government guidelines. There was rumours whether the game might be played in Germany. England were actually due to play New Zealand, believe it or not, in a friendly um, rather than the Republic of Ireland originally. So a lot of these things are kind of head-spinning um, circumstances that you know even the most sensible brains wouldn't be able to get their heads around. Yeah, the answer is staring you in the face. What do we do? I'm just going to leave a pregnant pause there. Get you, on know, you know what to do. No, well, if you wish, 
Um, I think that's what's going to happen. I think they're, they're, we're in a very difficult state where something does need to be done, um, but we don't know where the help is going to come from. And anyone who is going to help is going to act in a vague form of self-interest. Mm. And therefore, it's a bit, it's a, you're in a very weird Mexican standoff that will possibly get better. Now we've, we've been, we've got news of a vaccine, but mm. until, until we do get a vaccine or a cure, this charade is going to continue. Yeah, 100% is going to continue. And what I thought was most interesting, Jay, was that the news of all of these COVID cases have come during the international break. And you mentioned about Paul Pogba having COVID um, in one of the earlier international breaks. It seems quite often that that is when we're seeing the COVID cases come to light. Maybe I'm misreading the landscape on this one, but it feels like we haven't seen the same level of positive cases during a Premier League match weekend than we have done during the international break. I know there's obviously more teams in action um, on an international fixture date than there would be normally on a Premier League weekend. But certainly, like the idea of Vida coming off at half-time in the Croatia game, we haven't seen anything like that in the Premier League. We have seen Premier League players test positive for coronavirus. We haven't seen anything to the extent of having to miss games like right before the whistle or at half-time. It just makes you wonder whether that is actually going in, going on or whether it's just a coincidence that it's happened during the international break whilst players are on duty. I mean, listen, I think everyone agrees, you know, having international friendlies during a pandemic, it's just beyond madness. It's just ridiculous. And I think, you know, most people said that except the powers that be that are in control of it, that are saying, you know, we're going to go on ahead with it. And if we have to, even when we get to the point, you know, we have to move venues or we have to... <laughs> isolate players or players have to come off at our time or whatever we'll keep sort of uh plowing ahead towards oblivion it's just i think it's a nonsense person having these international families i'm not saying that is or isn't the cause of lots more spread of the disease i just think during a pandemic to me it seemed pretty logical not to have international friendlies i don't know maybe i'm oversimplifying it but it just does so. no i think you're right because it's not just the squad that comes over it's the coaching staff and and all of the people behind the scenes and officials and you know journalists and broadcasters that need to cover the game you know it's not just 11 players or 15 players that make the trip over um for a friendly and uh, you know kind of building on that jay i suppose the argument that jürgen klopp um ole gunnar solskjaer and pep guardiola were making in the last premier league match day about injuries and games being scheduled at stupid times and stuff like that i mean surely the frustration although it can be argued at broadcasters that they're putting games on at the wrong time at the end of the day broadcasters have paid for those rights uh, and they provide the clubs with big income for screening the games on tv so surely the frustrations from some of these managers should be labeled at the authorities for scheduling international friendlies especially when it comes down to injuries and things like that yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the two don't need to be mutually exclusive. You can, you can be annoyed at broadcasters <laughs> and you can be annoyed at, at the, uh, the international <laughs> authorities or whatever for, for, for both of those things. <laughs> you be angry at everyone. Yeah, if you want it to be, I'm sure, you know, most managers I know have, have, have been sort of angry at, at, at England or the FA and been angry at, um, at, the, um, at the broadcasters as well. So you're getting a, almost a double whammy, aren't you, where you've got these, this fixture pile up. And I, I still think, you know, a lot of clubs, the results we've seen, especially early on in the season and a lot of clubs recovering from what was just the, the craziness towards the end of last season, the short and break and stuff like that, because of obviously the pandemic, I think that affected them. And now you sort of, you feel like, okay, maybe you're getting to the point where it's more of a sort of in inverted commas back to normal. And then you're getting hit with, with more players missing and, and these international breaks that may be causing more of that. I mean, like I said earlier, it just seems 
farcical and it seems like you're making life more difficult than it needs needs to be and everyone knows you know like if you've got covid or you, you test positive whatever it's okay there's the football side of things but there's also you know the isolating side of things the family side of things you know if you, you know if you've got a family that then has to isolate and stuff like that, it's such as domino effects that can affect players and affect people around them as well you know you mentioned all the coaching staff and everyone that goes away it's not just oh this game isn't having this player there's a there's a whole host of other people that are affected by that sort of on a more personal level so mm. i think common sense has to prevail but unfortunately for me it doesn't seem like it is Come on, Carl, what's your take on the whole uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp thing? We've spoken about the substitutes earlier this week on the podcast where uh, two of the three aforementioned were pining for five substitutes. Obviously, that's not the case right now. We're still using three in the Premier League. Um, uh, the scheduling, I think that is a huge issue. But in terms of the number of games, obviously, there's, there's, no, there's no greater number of games this season than any other season, just that they've been wedged together more closely because of the pandemic. Because of the pandemic and of course of uh, Euro 2020. So yeah. again, yeah. we're doing the 38 game schedule in a schedule that is five weeks shorter. Um, there have been some concessions made on the FA Cup and the League Cup, but this is this is unsustainable. And this has been this is what what you're seeing this season is uh, eggs coming home to chickens coming home to roost in a very mm. unusual way. Because um, if you're aware of FIFA Pro, which is the union that looks after FIFA, um, yep. looks after football players, I should say, not of, of, of FIFA. Um, members of FIFA Pro have been warning against this for years. Vincent Company is one of the, the big names at FIFA Pro recently. Um, and I went to one of a recent FIFA Pro meeting in February in Brussels. And I listened to Vincent Company basically say within his second season when I was at Manchester City, he went, this is unsustainable. I cannot play this amount of football games. And again, we are in a state where you are in that Mexican standoff where you've got a number of players saying... You know, especially if you're involved in European competition and international football, saying I can't play so many games a season in a regular season with all the mm. breaks and all the on all the conditioning time and whatnot, without being, you know, without having some form of muscle fatigue, without having some form of latent risk. You've got to bear in mind any time a football player is taking a pain killing injection to play a game of football, that isn't a laughing matter. Uh, a player like John Terry, John Terry has had some very serious conversations as to whether or not he end up spending his later years sort of his 40s 50s and 60s in a wheelchair because he's taken so many pain and killing injections to play for, mm. for Chelsea that was a problem for John Terry in 2008 where he was playing Champions League England football in a non-condensed COVID calendar and now you're seeing this in this version it's a very violent um, way for that bubble to burst this has been mm. a long-standing problem and, and unfortunately there's too much money at stake to make this, to change this any form of way, the fact that we're continuing to have a League Cup and an FA Cup this season, again, I understand why we're doing it. It is absurd. I mean, you could you see the argument of people that go, Carl? Well, we've always had that in our game. We've always had a League Cup. We've always had an FA Cup. We've always had a thirty-eight game league season. It's always been that way in English football. Um, is it? More so the case, I mean, you used John Terry there, which is a fine example. Is it more so the case of those players that have come from other leagues and perhaps um, sort of earned their stripes in leagues overseas to then come to the Premier League and think, well, oh my God, this is seriously full on. There's so many games, there's so many cup competitions. Do you think it affects those players more? Or do you think that now uh, the British and Irish players and those players that have kind of um, learned their trade in this country are starting to realise that too? I think it's both. I, I I don't think it. I wouldn't necessarily say I think it affects foreign players more. I'd also I'd say one thing we overlook a lot in terms of, of the. This is why we always do it. 
is that that's branding. That's marketing what you're saying. When you say, when people say the FA Cup is, in, you know, football's oldest cup competition, that's marketing, right? And the reason we continue, the reason we continued in the FA Cup and in the current version of the FA Cup um, with replays and whatnot is because that's branding and that's effective branding and that's good branding for overseas markets. So where the FA Cup gets quite a lot of money in terms of broadcasting, right? You've got to bear in mind in January where most of the leagues take the winter off, you, oh, look at these mad Englanders playing some cup football, despite the fact all the players are broken. That is very effective marketing and a very good money spinner. So, and also the idea that we've always done that is untrue because the FA Cup has changed its iteration four or five times. The FA Cup is very fluid. Um, you, you know, Manchester United weren't in the FA Cup once, despite the fact they won it. So we introduced the wild card rule. We didn't, we used to have replays in the final now we don't yes, yeah, like yeah. we've ch we've changed football constantly so the idea that that's what we've always done is not true that is a marketing exercise um and to the, my argument there is no we've always been able to change it when it's suited us in terms of money spinning exercises and the reason we're not changing it now is because it doesn't suit us because we'll lose money this way so let's not pretend <laughs> <laughs> it is the oldest cup competition in the world, though. It, it is, <laughs> Even though it's it marketing, it's still fact. It is. It's the, it's the oldest cup competition in the world. It's a fantastic cup competition. And I think the the changes we've made to the FA Cup this season are going to make it a really interesting addition. Um, and I think it's good that we're, we've made changes to the FA Cup rather than get rid of it entirely this season. So do you think we're reaching ahead now, Carl? Do you think it is getting to the point where it is Wonga over well-being? It's, it's going to come to a head at some point, certainly. If, been, we're, if we're carrying on this collision course, it's going to crash at some point. I think we've gone past that point of crash a while ago. I, 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 if I take off my journalism hat, right? And if I take off the hat where I'm like, right, I'm, the reason, it, you know, let's be real. Football continuing is good for me because that's I can keep the lights on, right? If there is no football, I can't keep the lights on. I can't write about anything and I don't get to pay rent. So me saying we shouldn't have football, I'm shooting myself in the foot. But <laughs> if I take that journalism hat off and yep. give you a comment as an observer, what are you doing? Why are you playing football? Yeah, yeah. This is absurd. Yeah. Um, and I can't square that circle because no one can square that circle. We're doing this because we need to keep the lights on. Yeah. No, 100%. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Um, and I'm sure, Jay, you probably are as well. Football is so important to what we do. Um, and it's sad that no one's able to enjoy it. Hopefully, um, we will see some further um, information brought forward about the, the possibility of a return to fans in stadiums, because that's just one of a number of things we've discussed on today's podcast. Um, I'm going to go and have a beer after this because I think we've deserved one. Hopefully the next time the international break rolls around, <laughs> there's some slightly more positive news to talk about. Um, but anyway, it's, it's been a great chat. Thank you very much, Carl. Appreciate your debut on the podcast. Hopefully catch up with you again soon. I'm sorry for being a Debbie Downer, everyone. I'm not normally like <laughs> That's this. all right. On the next podcast, I want you to eat loads of blue Skittles or blue Smarties and <laughs> go crazy. <laughs> a bit more positive. Um, Jay, what are you up to? Um, obviously keeping track of what's all things United over on Stretford Paddock. Yeah, yeah, you know, digging out more nonsensical stories about Ronaldo coming to Old Trafford or stuff like that, probably. You know, trying to find, <laughs> find something to fill the uh, the United shapes hole in my life at the minute while the international break is on. Also, Niall, I love the fact you had to get the line in about the FA Cup. The FA Cup is the oldest competition. It is. Because... <laughs> These are facts. Because, 
obviously. It's the most important competition as well, isn't it, now, as you well know? It's the only thing I've ever got over Manchester United is that we beat you in the FA Cup quarterfinal in 2008. And that's the only thing I will ever be able to say. I gave you that that open goal there, mate, to get that You do know, my my first ever Portsmouth game, Jay, was at Old Trafford um, in 2003. And we got beat 3-0. And it was around about this time of year, actually. And I think even Diego Forlan scored a goal for United. Uh, and Roy Keane scored a goal as well. So, you know. I remember that game. And also, that game against Portsmouth, right, where you're not so exactly FA Cup, oh, still man. burns me because that could have potentially been a, another treble that season. It would have been. No, no doubt. It would have been no doubt. It would have been I'm, still, I'm still annoyed. We won the Premier League, won the I'm Champions st- League. And I remember once we had, um, we had Patrice Ever on, on what was Devils and the old paddock. And we talk about that season. And he says, "All I ever think about when I think about that season is the game against Portsmouth because it should have been a treble winning season." No Pompey fans can believe that that Pompey won that game. I know we're digressing slightly, but seriously, <laughs> the clearances <laughs> off the line, Rio Ferdinand going in goal don't, and nearly don't, saving don't. Suleiman Tari's penalty as well, even though he won. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. It's horrible. I know, but you were by far the best team around at that time, and it still baffles us now. You know when they say it's your year. Um, well, it was our year that time around, um, and you know Manchester United is a is a club. I'm sure that will get back to to where it needs to be. But yeah, that was a that was a hell of a game. Actually, it's made me made me a nice positive note to end the podcast. Know, Actually, there you go. He's all depressed. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening to the show. Don't forget you can hit subscribe, and that way you won't miss another episode. Again, new podcasts every single day of the season, even during the international break. So yeah, we'll keep you up to date with all the latest news, views, and opinions from the English top flight. Don't forget to go and check us out on our website too, sport-social.co.uk. But that's it for now. I've been nice. Thanks to Jay, thanks to Carl, and we'll speak to you again soon. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Twitter at The Sports Social. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.